Welcome back to the Neuroforming Parent Podcast, where we explore inspiring stories of parenting and education. And this is episode two. We're going to explore the journey of how me and my family just became regular new parents and for millennials. And then we transferred into this new idea and growing concept of neuroaffirming parenting and what that means. So if you've listened to the trailer or you've listened to episode one, you'll know that I am the neuroaffirming parent. Um, For this episode, I'm going to be going by Mrs. Neuroaffirming Parent because I have a very exclusive guest and it's going to be my husband who will go by Mr. Neuroaffirming Parent. And for us, it's kind of an anniversary of sorts because this is our third school year we've experienced as parents and a significant milestone because we did not expect to have school issues and we experienced them pretty early on with our daughter in pre-k in 2021 and then kindergarten in 2022 and now we kind of finally feel like we have a grasp on things in 2023 so join us as we delve into the reasons challenges and rewards of this parenting shift and educational shift so welcome mr neuroforming parent hello yes thank you So, thank you so much for joining me today out of your busy work schedule, since we are very grateful as a family that you work so very hard, but I just want to take us back to kind of the beginning. So, before we even did the school enrollment, are there some things that you remember about our daughter? Like, I kind of shared my our story online of my perspective of how I saw how she was excited for school, but please tell the listeners what you saw. Oh, yes, and thank you for having me. Um, I definitely saw our daughter be a very energetic kid and eager to learn and wanting to go to school. Did the whole, I have my backpack on, want to go to school type of kid and, you know, sparkle in her eye type deal. And that was amazing to see at that time. And do you remember the video that you took, like when she, you were getting ready for work and she was singing like Dua Lipa songs? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Their favorite. She was always um, a joyous kid and loves music. And I think that was part of her ambition to learn was that music. Right. That you played for her every day. <laughs> every day. Every day. And so what was, I know for me, it was a little bit different of seeing like the school change, but what was your first indication that the public school atmosphere wouldn't exactly be the best for her? Well, I think the biggest thing for me was after a couple of weeks, she would come home and tell us, I did this today, I did that today. And after those couple of weeks kind of faded, she kind of got into that funk of this isn't what I thought it was going to be Um, and it was hard to explain to her without knowing what was really going on in the school because your first instinct is to say well this is different because maybe your expectation is different but without knowing what's really going on it looking back on it you kind of see the trend of okay I'm not getting the help that I need 
Yeah, I remember like we got those first phone calls and it was kind of difficult because I was the one at home and you were at work and I kind of relayed to you, hey, her teacher said this and you're like, what? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't sound like our daughter. And I'd kind of have to be like, well, you know, that's what her teacher's saying. Like, <laughs> what are we supposed to do about that? Exactly. And it was when you get a call about your child that doesn't align with what you normally would see at home at home yeah it definitely throws red flags left and right and then you have a little bit more experience with this but i remember when she first uh got rsv when she was in pre-k in 2021 and you i had to stay at home with our son and you got the chance to ride with her in the ambulance and take her to the hospital yeah how how did she handle that experience oh she handled it like a champ uh better than me um but it was definitely a big impact on her around that time of her life because it was her first really big experience of and you can tell in her face of like something can happen to me you know she got the full treatment of IVs and drugs and all that kind of stuff that you know she kind of didn't really know before then that oh, this can happen to me as well. You know, you always hear about it, and she always talked about doctors. Yeah. But this is her first experience of, oh, I'm Yeah, I'm thankful we watched that Daniel Tiger episode that explained, you know, how shots can be scary and talk about shots. And And she even said before she got her IV, she even said some of the lines from Daniel Tiger was just like, try, look away, hold your breath, all that kind of stuff she did, and... Which we now know is social-emotional learning. We just thought it was Dangle Tiger. <laughs> right, yes. And she took it like a champ, and we stayed a couple of days at the hospital. And I was at home with our son, and I remember that I felt so defeated as a parent because it was the height of COVID, and we had a society that was, like, conflicted about wearing masks, and I was beating myself up because I was like, where did she get this from? Did she get it from school? Is she too young to go to school? Was her immune system not strong enough? Well, for me, it was more of... It was one of the first times as a dad that I was put in the forefront of, like, you're alone with the child. So that was the first time that, you know, I had to know all the information. With no family to help us. No family. I had to know all the health information, allergies, everything so that was that was big learning Which, experience thank goodness for, for google documents and google like, yes. shout to, out google to help all that memory um but also i remember it didn't stop there because Soon after, in October, we got the news that she had to have some dental work from, which I felt guilty for because that's from my side of the family too, and thankfully, you were able to be with her for that yes that that, that was something else that she showed great uh determination for with and you know she's brave so brave for a four-year-old very brave and then so october was also the month that i completed my training so i could be a volunteer which they made mandatory because my whole thing was i was so excited for her to start school and i assumed for whatever reason that i'd be able to bring our young son who was two to the school to visit with her have lunch with her go on field trips and COVID stopped all that. <laughs> it did, yeah. And so then we found out pretty early on that the school was not happy with me going on a field trip, even though they let me go, and then they retracted that statement and said I wasn't supposed to go. 
but it was different for me because I got to witness how our daughter interacted with her classmates. And I think it reflected a lot of what you saw because you got to visit her for lunch and you kind of noticed how even in the lunchroom she wasn't supposed to sit away from people or she wasn't supposed to be isolated in certain ways. She definitely was put in a position it felt like just from a outsider's perspective that she was placed in a position away from her classmates either towards the end of the table or you know at a part of the table where you she couldn't really communicate with anybody else even when I noticed it was away from the teacher which was to me a, a huge problem right and then I felt so bad because I remember the first like school meeting we even had wasn't even in person it was just over the phone and I remember you were still at work and I took the phone call and I was just immediately rushed and they said oh yeah this is a conference call and it was her teacher the school counselor and me and I just kind of felt lost and you know they started out very strong saying oh well, your daughter's so creative she's you know doing really good but then we had this speech screener and that's where everything started off <laughs> And they always hit you with the but then. Right. And so for me, I kind of remember seeing a lot of underachievement just because I was Googling at this point, okay, if you have a gifted mom, and I always suspected giftedness in you, how does how do you advocate for your child when they're too young to start a gifted education program, but you know that you see all these signs and traits? And just tell me from your perspective, like, how did you feel when I brought that up to you? I felt like I wasn't sure about giftedness. I was not in a gifted class growing up. I always felt comfortable in school, comfortable with work. Uh, I never seemed to have to try too hard. Um, And I saw a lot of that in her, and I still do, to where she knows the instructions and she can work it out. Um, so my first thing was, well, let's let this ride. She's in a funk. School's different than what she thought it would be. Um, that was my first initial thought on the subject. Yeah, and I remember that. I feel like we kept getting reassured that, like, it was a temporary thing, it was a phase, or that at some point it would, something would click and that, you know, everything would work out, but... Anytime I picked her up from school, she kept, I would ask, I was like, how your day? And either I get no response or just kind of like a look on her face that she wanted to talk about it, but she didn't know how to talk about it. Yes. That, and I noticed that too by the middle to end of that first year was her look definitely changed. Even at home, she started to visually look different than she did at the beginning of the year and not because she was growing but just her mannerisms like a confidence was gone yeah and I remember when um it was around winter break in that pre-k year that I feel like it was like the first two weeks she was out of school she started to finally open up and tell us how certain kids didn't like her and I remember her telling you that and like I saw your face just kind of drop and was like you know how is this starting so early Oh like, yeah, it's it's you never expect to hear that so early. You know, you think of small kids and all they want to do is play, but when she noticed a difference of how people were looking at her, 
that's what really opened my eyes to you know this is more than just not acclimating to something that she thought was more like a summer camp I know me and you are big sports people you know baseball was your thing in school and I played softball and I really liked the concept of you know team building so that's when we signed her up for basketball and do you remember kind of like that shift in her demeanor when she started basketball in that, it was that January right oh yeah 100% it was, it was a big shift it was almost like a sigh of relief for her um, that you can tell that she was in an environment where she could be viewed the same as everybody because everybody was starting out on the same level so she definitely enjoyed that and then it was interesting to me because as soon as we the school kind of mentioned like a speech issue you know you kind of knew more of the people to talk to in that arena but I know I I knew enough to request an occupational um therapy um I forget the full name but anyway the like kind of like not the full exam but like the screener to see if that's something she would need and I remember that came back and it said when her grades are fine these shouldn't be issues so I remember that was the first conflict that we had because you had an occupational therapist saying she looks like a normal kid she looks like you know every exactly. other pre-k'er but then the school was telling us oh no we need to do something about this something's going on exactly and in my head at that time when that came back it was more of a then why are we even discussing this why are we having a conversation about my child when everything is fine her grades are good in my mind it was just hard to really see that there is an issue at that point I almost believe that there wasn't an issue like they were making something up if you know what I mean like that was where my head was at at that moment yeah, and I remember that's the shift of the school meetings of when they stopped kind of saying it was a speech thing and started pointing to behavior. And they started bringing up um, interventions, and it wasn't really with a specialist. It was with our daughter's teacher, who was a first-year teacher. And anytime we asked her questions, she kind of, like, either evaded the question or said she had to talk to somebody else. Um... And then, do you remember the time, like, I used Twinkle Resources to print out my own kind of um, expressive speech questions, and our daughter oh, yeah. answered all of them? <laughs> yes. Was like... And you showed them those. Yeah. And that was hilarious <laughs> that they uh, did not think you would do that. Yeah, they did bring not your expect on that. your own proof Resources. of what she can do. And it threw them for a loop, for sure. And then I remember in February, that's when we started getting emails that our daughter got hit on the playground by a classmate. Yes. And we didn't get a phone call. We got an email. And <laughs> then when I picked her up from school and she had a visible mark on her cheek, still, like, it was just email communication. Um, and then that's what led us into March when we got more school people involved and that's when we found out speech wasn't covered by our insurance um so congratulations to parents that do have speech therapy covered by insurance because that's awesome but we didn't um but do you remember at that time that i took the kids to the museum and then she brought the heart that she wrote to you and oh, yeah. like wrote her name yeah i still have it i still have it um it's that was wonderful and it was one of the first times that it, 
in a while at that point that she showed any sign of creativity yeah yeah so that was wonderful to see and then do you remember that time that she requested a beach trip oh yeah (laughs) very she was very straightforward with it too wasn't she she said I want to go to the beach. She wanted to get ice cream. She wanted to go to the beach. She wanted to feel the sand in her hands. You can tell during that trip that it was a release for her. Yeah. The whole trip was, you know, she made it her trip, which was awesome. Right. And that's one thing I I feel like me and you have such a strength as parents is that when our kids kind of make a request, we don't, we don't throw it away. We kind of either, if we, even if we can't make it happen that day, we pack it in, we make a plan. And so that's what we did. We saved money away, waited for spring break and we went to a trip to Hilton Head and... But also we, the way we run our house, our kids, it's almost like they know without saying that they can say something and we'll remember it. They know we'll remember. There's, they don't have to remind it. You know, she'll say one time, I want to go somewhere. And then, won't say it again, three weeks later we go there and you can tell in her face that she re- she knows that we remembered and that's a good feeling. But I definitely think that's because me and you have our childhoods where we had parents that did make promises that they couldn't keep so we kind of made it an unspoken promise that we'd never do that ourselves. And even if, 100%. you know, right? And even if you, you say something and we can't keep that promise, we're very honest with our kids. Like... Our kids were asking today, hey, can we go to a restaurant? And we were like, you know, like, maybe not today, but we'll, you know, try to make it happen this weekend. Um, But also, I kind of wanted to, because our school issues kind of took a break that summer, and then obviously things changed when we got her eyes checked, and we were like, oh, that's another hurdle. Obviously, that solves lots of answers. Um, But... I remember I was kind of very nervous because I knew that we had assessments that summer and the ones I took her to, I didn't really feel confident that we get an answer that we were looking for, but you have the perspective because you took her to the assessments when they had to redo them after her eyes. Yes. So kind of tell that perspective. That, That was a very strange interaction for me because... Upon arriving to do these retests with her eyes checked. In glasses. In glasses. <laughs> she was in glasses. Um, the I got a feeling of they were doing this stuff almost as if, oh, you requested this, so we're going to do it, even though our information is already correct. And I felt her feel that. She even looked back at me when she went to do the test, like, not not saying, like, don't let me do this, but almost like, what are we doing here? And as a parent, that's hard because you're told it's needed. So you encourage her almost to a point you have to convince yourself to encourage her. Well, and I apologize. I should bring up the fact that we were kind of already thinking about withdrawing at this point because... That end of the pre-K year, our daughter experienced heat exhaustion at field day. And again, we didn't get a phone call. We got notified after the fact. And then when my husband went to confront or just even talk to the principal, tell him your experience. It was one of the most horrible experiences I've had talking to a staff member of a school. And I've been around a lot of schools. They would not, and they meaning the, the principal... 
would not say a word in the meeting. She had the assistant principal say everything. She just sat there, was writing down stuff until I asked her, do you have anything to say of why my child was sent to the nurse and she would not respond? And at that point, I requested that she take her remaining days mm-hmm. off that she had left over because she didn't miss a lot of days. Yep. And they said, yeah, that's fine. They went and got her stuff, brought it to me. I think they were going to, with- they probably thought we were going to withdraw that day. I believe so. I, and I got a sense of that. I almost got a sense of relief from them, mm-hmm. which worried me. Yeah. And, you know, this that is. That they a- wouldn't have to deal with our daughter anymore. Exactly. And this is a school that we have been told was a good school. We moved here because of the school ratings. Yes. And that was very important to us even when looking for a home. And you know, a lot of people discount our generation because they act like we don't do our research or that we don't care about community building. But from what I see online and even with my followers, yes, we do. A lot of people don't realize that we remember our school upbringing. We remember feeling excluded or not having a good experience in school. And we don't want that for our kids. So we we try to do our homework, but sadly we were disappointed. But to move back, So we were very hopeful moving into the summer of 2022 and then even meeting the new teacher. Do you remember that experience? Yes. I believe immediately after it was a lot of, and just from my end of the story, it was a lot of, well, I'm not so sure that she is up to the task. And I'm not quite sure how you felt about it, but I felt like at that point, is she up to handling her in a way that she needs to be handled? Okay, and I'm, I'm so thankful for your perspective and to have that because I remember I was already feeling that implicit bias going into meeting the kindergarten teacher because I knew she was exactly across the hall from the pre-K teacher. So she knew who I was, she knew who our daughter was, and then she made a point to say that she had worked with our daughter the previous year when she had to help her daughter's pre-K teacher. And at that point we had already known that the pre-K teacher did not feel comfortable asking for help and there was a lot of people that was giving her help and we're not sure if she was being told that she had to have help or how that went around um but I remember discussing that with you and we kind of came out with different perspectives and I tried to keep an open mind you know knowing that okay this is a new year new teacher there's a new opportunity let's kind of brush off what happened here we're supposed to have assessments we're supposed to have data everything is supposed to help us and our daughter and her education and so, I can't remember, did you get to go to that first IEP meeting or it was just me alone, right? It was just you. It was. So, I remember when that happened, you know, we were told following up the IEP meeting that this is certain things the parents fight for. This is the gold standard of how to help your kid in education in 2023. That's a legally binding document that the school has to follow and they have to approve everything and everything is going to be, you know, perfect for your kid. It's going to be individualized. So we were built up to think that like the 
school meetings before had failed, that the, you know, all the different levels of MTSS had failed, even though they didn't explain why our daughter was in tier three. Exactly. <laughs> Big question of mine. <laughs> right. Because she jumped really fast from tier one to tier three. Um, but I remember in the IEP meeting, it felt very forced to go with something, a category they had selected. And I remember telling you the category and you didn't agree. And well, the the biggest thing about the category, which is autism, which was autism, was for me, and this is my perspective of it. And I told you this at the time. Well, you have a family history I experience. Do have a family history experience of autism, not in my immediate family, but around my family. And and we're not ableist people. So. <laughs> I just wanted my daughter to get the best help. Yes. And I felt like if it was labeled incorrectly. Yes that the help she was getting was not beneficial. And how it was framed to me was they called it educational autism, which now I know is how schools use the category to funnel money from that category to do with what they will. Exactly. And unfortunately, I even mentioned, I was like, well, hey, what about dyslexia? And they wouldn't say the word dyslexia. They would say, oh, hush, hush, that's that's SLD. And we would need different tests for that. And that usually doesn't start until third grade. And so I was being told that my daughter would not be given help and the teachers would not be legally held liable if they didn't help if she did not have a category and didn't have an IEP. So we felt very stuck at this point. So in that first meeting, I was like, listen, okay, let's go ahead with this and see how what happens you know like maybe they're right but what if we're wrong like what's the worst that can happen and unfortunately we got that progress report and yep. do you remember what it said the worst happened because <laughs> my our daughter left pre-k um because honestly she knew all of her the whole alphabet abc she could count to 40 by age two like my husband said she was ready to go to school um but what happened was pre-k kind of sent her for a loop and she realized she had mastered the curriculum and they weren't going to help her. And so she just kind of, you know, fell into that underachievement uh, archetype. And so once kindergarten came, she didn't know how to apply any of self-regulation skills, self-reliance skills. And the teacher in pre-K pretty much told her she could sleep all day. And so she expected to be able to sleep all day in kindergarten. And so immediately um, we found out that her kindergarten teacher, when they evaluated kids, only gave them about 60 seconds to answer a question. And if our daughter didn't answer a question within that time frame, it was marked wrong. So her progress report from pre-K showed that she was advanced and then her first progress report in kindergarten claimed that she had regressed, which we knew wasn't true because we had data from apps on her tablet that told us differently. Um, so when we had that discrepancy and I, I remember I told you, I was like, okay, well I have to send an email to, cause legally you're la allowed to request a new IEP meeting at any time when you're a parent. And so just give me some perspective of how you felt after we had that data. I felt after the data came through, it, it kind of felt to me as though they were kind of almost, I won't say they were skewing the data, but I will say that they were using the data to their 
advantage. advantage. That's what that's what I felt like. And you know, you mentioned the sleeping stuff. Well, I mentioned giftedness, and I remember specifically the assistant principal rolling her eyes and telling us, well, all kids are bright. Yes. So I felt like they didn't believe me about giftedness, and then I remember mentioning... Well, I felt um, like they didn't believe you about anything. True. I felt like there was a wall up towards you, and that it was something that, you know, maybe in hindsight, you know, we could have saw as, okay, now's the time to pull her out. You know, true. after or that. I felt like so lost. And I remember I was telling you, I was emailing like our parent to parent organization. I was emailing lawyers. I was emailing almost anybody I could find that could give us insight with this school battle. And you know, the advice that we get was, hey, like the system is meant to work for parents. It's supposed to work for you, not the school. But unfortunately, in our experience, it was the opposite. So even when we asked for the IEE, which is an individual, um, education evaluation we got pushback we got told oh well you know we don't have local doctors for that if you find one tell us and then i found one and they said that's too far and then it was a a fight every every second it seemed like of the way every step there was a and all the time i was getting emails sent from the teacher complaining about our daughter falling asleep in class and I'd be like, well, hey, have you tried giving her water or doing this or doing that? And they would just blame either our daughter or blame our parenting and never blame the school, the curriculum, or themselves. Exactly. And then um, just to get a little bit more details, but do you remember the first um, time that we, she had a book sent home from kindergarten and she kind of like had difficulties Yes. Well, I remember coming home and you telling me about it and you actually said watch and told her to read the book as best she could. And there was a struggle, a very obvious struggle to do so. And I think that that point was one of the biggest turning points for me as like okay this is getting out of hand because it you know I had before then been really just well she'll she'll get it together well tell Almost a little bit in spite background, of them I thought she would t- tell a little background of how you learned to read I learned to read my mother was an avid believer in phonics now by choice I'm not sure (laughs) but that was her preferred method so I did learn to read even before pre-k I could read very almost at a third grade level by the time first grade hit and I told on on another podcast that I learned to read in public school in 1998 with Hooked on Phonics from my teacher and so I remember even being pregnant and telling you I was like hey should I even get some of this phonics stuff and we were like no like the school would be able to teach her like we were assuming that the public school would teach our daughter and so we assumed that what the way we learned was the way that they're teaching now because it worked for us yes we assumed that hey they know that this works yes they're gonna do it 
And then we have to put in context that my husband and I are millennials. We grew up in the No Child Left Behind era. We took standardized tests our whole school career. And I personally have to credit a standardized test for me being identified as gifted. My husband, he went to a magnet school, so he had a different experience than me. Um, but how did you feel about standardized tests? Did you feel like it helped you as a student or kind of... How do you feel? I mean, I know (laughs) I just did it, and I know that's horrible to say. I I felt like the the way the test was structured was structured for me. I love multiple choice. I love, and even in the writing essay part of those tests that we took, I love to write. That's true. So there is there was no issues there for me. Um, But yeah. So I would say that even played into our parenting because we knew that we survived the public school system with the standardized tests because that's usually the only concern you hear from parents is, oh, there's too much tests. But me and you had no problem with tests, so we didn't foresee a problem with our children. Exactly. <laughs> at when all. When one comes up, it's, it's almost hard to even catch the problem, that there is a problem. Yes. Because that, that was... we were told, wait and see. Maybe she needs to mature. Maybe yes. it's her they they never wanted to take accountability or admit anything wrong and so i remember we saw the first decodable book home it was one decodable book and do you remember the difference in her reading that book oh yes it was it was night and day night and day and so that's when i got into this whole like you know science of reading kick and decodable book kick and coincidentally um, October was Dyslexia Awareness Month, and that's when Sold the Story came out. So, do you remember when I started telling you about how I was following certain families on Twitter and kind of got this idea of dyslexia? Oh, yeah. And how did you feel when I brought up the term dyslexia? I didn't really have a feeling towards it. I, I, you hear about it all growing up, even kids in a magnet school that I went to that term was used probably a lot more than your typical public school so I had friends that I grew up with that said that they had dyslexia so it was something I knew was I guess you say a possibility of having it's not something I ever was told that I had but it was something that I knew was there and not something I knew exactly what it was until you dove into it and explained <laughs> right. it to me so effortlessly but yes I knew it was there and it was intriguing because it actually gave me a little bit of hope for her True. because it was you know it just goes back to the labeling that they had of the autism it yeah kinda, that didn't fit her it, it, it didn't <laughs> And I hate to say it because it's almost like I'm saying my my child's not autistic. Yes, and, and that's, that's not. Yeah, and I felt like that's the way I was being looked at when I said that to them in the yes. meeting. All I want to do is, if she is autistic, great, let's label it that. Right. But if she's not, let's get them get her the help that she needs. Let's let's put a label on there that we can point to and say this is the problem. Let's let's not fix it per se but let's help let's help this let's give her the accommodations that she needs to succeed but let's be clear unfortunately in our state there is a lot of people that view autism as something that is caused by vaccines or that can be fixed 
So yeah. there's so much misinformation that you have to cut through just to fight a misdiagnosis. And for us, I feel like we are a strange generation because we've grown up in between that shift of not knowing what autism is, not knowing what dyslexia is, and then learning and embracing what these terms are. And I felt exactly what you felt, like with the school, as soon as we said, I don't agree with that, it became less of how can I help your child and how can I, uh, I wouldn't say discount, but almost like how can I fight this parent in this battle? Because what I believe is different from what they believe. Yes, and from our perspective, at least from mine, you can say if it wasn't yours, I feel like we hit roadblocks every step of the way, and I feel like that was their time to shine almost like this is like this is going to be the final roadblock we're going to disagree with this right here even though this is your child that you know better than we know which they never admitted which they, they would never, never admit that they i remember i would bring in and looking back i mean maybe i shouldn't have <laughs> brought so many books and printouts because i felt like they were looking at me as if it was a courtroom and they had to prove their case and I was proving mine. It felt that way. And for me, I wasn't even trying to disprove them or catch them in being wrong. I was just trying to advocate for my kid. And I was literally asking them like, when she, you know, can't read this book that you're sending home that is a level A and you've sent it home three times, how am I supposed to tell my kid oh, the book's not the problem, you're the problem. When we have other books in our house that are decodables that she could read fluently. Yes. That's what we couldn't understand. And so I want to be clear, though, that we didn't immediately go from this idea of public school's great to, oh, let's withdraw our kid. We actually talked to a different public school. And do you remember that lady that kind of like took one look at our kids and was like, oh, yeah, they're autistic? Yeah, <laughs> first first conversation we had with her and it was here we go again moment yes and it, it was uh, all because they were they were jumping around and stimming which they do as siblings together but it was like uh, they saw one trait and immediately said oh we can get autism money out of this student <laughs> yeah really really so, ultimately, we tried as long as we could to stay in the school system. Unfortunately, October 2022, we, again, didn't get a call. I went to pick up our daughter, and we got the news that she was pushed by the paraprofessional in the room. And that was the real catalyst that made us stop in our tracks and think, is she safe? Because before that point, I feel like we were you know, okay with advocating. We're like, okay, she's just in kindergarten. If she doesn't know how to read, most kids don't. What's the big deal? And I get that from my page a lot because everybody's like, you know, not everybody reads in kindergarten. What are you harping on about? But you tell that perspective of how you felt when we got told that. Well, for me, it was more of a, such an insincere telling of the event on their end. Because when, you know, I was not there when she told you about it, but the way you tell she me... She downplayed it, 100%. Well, the way that you tell me that our daughter says this is what happened, she says it very sincerely, like it sincerely upset her, hurt her, you know, caused pain. 
and the school was the very opposite. It was a downplay. And then I found out that the nurse had written down the wrong knee that got hurt. We went to the pediatrician, the pediatrician observed actual bruising. It wasn't just like, you know, a slight brush. Yeah. She had been physically pushed and the school wanted to claim it as an accident. So and at that point also with the confidence issues that she was having, it was almost as if me and you looked at each other and said without even saying, we crossed eyes and this is damage. Yeah. And we didn't mean physical. Yeah. This is a mental damaging we situation. We take trauma seriously in our household. Exactly. Yes. And when it comes to safety, you know, like you said, we're, a, we, we're willing to be the advocate and, you know, be there for her and get in the way of the misconceptions that they had. Yeah. But when it comes to safety, there's really no room for error. I mean, trauma's real. Well, I remember I seriously sat down and I asked you, I was like, can we move forward? And I remember we had a conversation and we were like, well, what are our options? Because we already had the IEP, which should have protected her in the first place. But then second, I was finding out that maybe we could ask for a change of classroom. So I wrote up an email and I formally asked, can we change the classroom? And we were told no. I asked if we could change schools within the district and they said no. And their answer was because her IEP was for that school, that that was not true. And I even went up to um, the government agencies that deal with IEPs and they said that shouldn't be happening. They told you a lie. They shouldn't be saying that. And so they were telling us that, you know, we probably should go through with due process, but what that entails is that she would be locked in that school until everything settled. And for me, I was asking you, I was like, do we even want to fight for her to be in this school if they're fighting so hard to exclude her? And... Well, I felt like it was pointless to keep yeah. her somewhere that even take us out of the equation... If she felt unsafe somewhere, why force her to go just to wait out this due process that, by everything else that had happened, would have gone their way? Yeah. So that's when we decided to remove the IEP altogether. And I don't think they saw that coming at all because I even, when I consulted with certain lawyers and stuff, they said they never heard a parent do that. Um, I saw in the wording of the document that it had been added in 2005 thanks to no child left behind that yes parents can withdraw the iep so we did that and then we asked again can we have a classroom change told no we asked again can we have a school change told no so that's when we asked to have a um, parent principal meeting and we did it virtually and do you recall that meeting i recall it perfectly <laughs> it was you know, it's one of those meetings where, from the very beginning, you just knew how it's gonna go. How it's gonna go. They, the way they answered the virtual call, was very um, like it was a courtesy. Yeah. Yes. Like, oh, here we're here for this amount of time. Let's hurry up and get this done. And then when you asked very serious questions... I asked if they had listened to the Soul to Story podcast, and we got the answer of no. I said, well, are you concerned with the reading instruction in your school? And they said, no. The principal said, well, I learned to read with Brown Robin, didn't you? And we both answered, no. no. <laughs> so. And they were very rude at the end of it. Um, almost 
almost a dare type route of, well, you can take her out, almost, with yeah, saying I, it without saying it. Because we said, like, okay, so what's the procedure of withdrawing our child? And they said, it's okay. We got the paperwork drafted up. We're ready. When do you want to come pick it up? Which was very odd. Just almost like they... Planned on it. Planned on it. They were ready for it to happen. And it, it was... Um, it hurt. Disheartening. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, it, it hurt because you, you you plan on something. You plan on your kids going to school, getting an education. Being a part of the community. Being a part of the community. I mean, as a, as a husband, I plan on my wife being in the workforce. That was our plan, for me to be able to go back to work and be able to, you know, have a lunch break and visit our kids at school, talk to our kids at school, you know, be able to go to sports events with our kids, all these community fun things that had just been stripped away from us. And just, you know, on a personal level, it was hard because I was in the first year of a new job. Yep. So that was totally an unexpected chain of events that occurred. Now we've, we have been blessed to... (laughs) to live the way we do and be able to support our kids. So I think now is the time that we can start shifting and talk about kind of the good things. So when I, well, you go ahead and tell me, what did you think when we withdrew? Where did you think that her education would go? I was not sure. I did not know. I I knew the options we were looking at and you had come up with the option that she's at now. Well, I knew we had done great things with Nessie um, learning products, and that was a homeschool option. I kind of knew that you had more family experience with the homeschool route and school choice. So I I felt like having you as my teammate in in the corner with me that I didn't feel alone. But I know that until I took the Cox Campus training, I had no clue what I was doing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, look, and I said this to you before, if we were role swapped and you were working and I was at home with her it would have went differently <laughs> because you're you're just better suited for this sort of thing um, than well, I thank am you, you and, could do uh, it too though you well could do it. that's debatable but um <laughs> but when I presented you. you with hey I found a virtual online public charter school how did you feel I just was happy that you found somewhere that you believed would be helpful to her. And for me, I was so grateful that you were on board because I had felt guilty because we made this deal. We were thinking like, you know, it's probably not smart to have two kids on one income, but that's what it turned into. Um, But now that I'm in the thick of it, I kind of feel the most hopeful I ever have been because even when our kids were going to public school, I had the anxiety of How am I to get them to school in the morning? How am I going to get myself dressed and them dressed and dropped off at school? And then what if they get sick? Who's going to have to take off work to pick them up? Or, you know, like the situation we're in the economy right now with inflation, will I have enough gas money to do all that in that time frame? Will I ever get to see them? Because there's working mom guilt involved too. But now I kind of feel like once they're set up with virtual school, I might have more freedom to do this podcast, work from home, or I might have more options. But tell us how you feel um, witnessing her education now versus public school. It's definitely a 
180 turn. I mean, it is, it has been just from what I've seen, and you know, you're there more than I am during school, but just what I've seen, she's more willing to share what she's learned, and you can tell she's actually learning something different than what she knew before. I felt like with public school, it was more of a I already know that I'm bored. It yeah. was a big statement that she said almost every day. Yeah. And now it's more of, oh, I did this today. Look, Dad, look what I learned. Look, look what, what I, I learned. Look what I did. And she, her creative side's back, which is awesome to see. And I've made a post about this before, but I can track it to almost three months exactly. Because we switched from public school... We, what was it? It was December we fully withdrew. And then we started the virtual school January of 2023 this year. And by March, her love of learning had come back. She kind of felt confident because she noticed that obviously over the winter break, you know, I practice with her with phonemic awareness and certain strategies that are structured literacy. But her new school fully embrace structured literacy so she could apply what she was learning in her new school and it wasn't just this weird thing her mom was teaching her at home and so (laughs) I feel like she felt more comfortable and then it took a while because it it was some if you want to call it bad habits that she had to get rid of yes and it's hard I can imagine being she couldn't sleep all day yeah exactly (laughs) well also being told you have to do it this way and then hearing it from your mom this is the way you know and you're told all your life you know she that nobody has a perfect way find your way yeah (laughs) you know you're told you go to school to learn well she went to school she didn't learn but you know now she has to come to grips with this is the way that's best for you to learn so it's gotta be hard yeah and then you know we've had it over the summer where she's kind of made certain comments of like when am i going back to real school and you know for her brother, it's different because he's never been to school. And so when my husband goes to his job and it's a school, tell me your experience of how he kind of got confused there. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, he, when I get ready to go to work, you know, and, and he's up super early as always. I say, come on, come help me get dressed. And he thought that he was going with me. So yeah. he thought he was going to school and... Which we're excited that they like school. So excited. And I want to say that I don't, I'm not 100% sure if we're going to stay in virtual school forever. You know, if you get a huge raise, we win the lottery, if we get to move, you know, things change. But I think that's an important part of how we parent is we accept the unknown. And kind of adaptivity is our biggest strength. So even with, I mean, when COVID happened, we didn't even know if we were going to send our daughter originally to school. So I was already getting prepared, you know, how I was going to keep these two kids entertained if the whole world is shut down. And so I kind of feel a lot better now knowing that we know more in these past two years of school issues than probably we would have if we never had school issues. But I want to say that I am so grateful for this online community to help me better understand not just our parenting, not just our kids, but our family history. But how do you feel going forward with 
Like, do you, even in your job, do you feel like neurodiversity is going to expand? I think it has to. I don't. I don't think it's a question of will it as much as a question of you know how long is it going to take. I mean, it has to be looked at. It has to be you know viewed in a different light than it has been in the past. And you know, podcasts like this and all the people you talk to you know, on the online communities have really pushed it forward. Parents is what really does it. Well, we've noticed that your job, they offer more trainings now in certain neurotypes like autism. And, you know, it's important not just to learn de-escalation strategies, but also about social emotional learning. 100%, um, yeah. For me, I feel so guilty because as millennials, I feel like, you know, we have the emo culture and we understood emotions in a different way. But I don't feel like it expanded to society to better understand why were a generation of kids so sad that we listened to music <laughs> that reflected <laughs> how sad we were and we didn't stop another recession from happening because of that sadness. That's true. That's true. So we can go ahead and close this out. Um, I want to thank you again so much for being here. Um, do you think our story resonates with other people do you think other people can relate 100 percent. i think there's people out there that don't know what to do just like we didn't know what to do and you know just for those people uh it's it's a long hard road and it's bumpy and sometimes it looks like it's never going to end and never going to get better and just hang in there and do the research and especially the husbands out there you know just Say you have thank any you. advice for the husbands? Say thank you. <laughs> you know, especially the husbands that work all the time and, you know, with the, the wife that stays home. You have to take that knowledge that she's learned and, you know, look it up. You know, I've done some research that you you send me everything that you post. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and I look it up and, you know, it's, it's helpful to me. It's helped me, I believe, get closer to our kids, get closer to you. So it's, it's, I think it's helped our communication. It's a lot. been an experience, and I think a good one. So thank you again, Mister Neuroaffirming Parent, for sharing your insights and your experiences. Thank you. Um, I know that our decision to switch from a public school to a virtual school isn't for everybody, and we're not advocating for that. But it's just one story in a huge fabric of society. Um, we did it for our daughter's safety, and it's been a really great experience. And so to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this episode to the Neuroaffirming Parent Podcast. If you found today's conversation valuable, please do not forget to like this on any platform that you listen to, subscribe on your favorite platform, and if your platform allows for comments, please leave a review. Stay tuned for our next episodes. They're going to be happening bi-weekly. And until next time, this is the Neuroaffirming Parent Podcast.